everyone, and welcome to the Heartland Franchise Guy podcast. This is your insider's guide to franchises in the Heartland area. I'm Blake Martin, local small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guy. This is the place for education, resources, and advocacy for our local franchising field and for local entrepreneurs looking to learn about the franchising field. Okay, folks, for today's episode, you asked for it and we're delivering it. You wanted insights from national experts in the franchising industry, people with their finger on the pulse of both the history and the future of the franchising business. And today we're bringing in the biggest dog of all the dogs. With us today is Jana Bailey, longtime CEO of FranNet's Global Franchise Brokerage Organization. Jana, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm very happy to be here, and I don't know when I've last been called a big dog, so this is a good start. <laughs> well, you're welcome, just for starters. <laughs> now listen, you're going to be very happy here. You can thank me later that um, that nobody's going to see you blush, but it's really important that we give a little bit of background and kind of an extended intro, so you're just going to have to bear with me for a second as I go through that. So Jan has been in the franchising industry for several decades and served a lot of different roles. She's also been a board member of Franchising's Industry Trade Association, the International Franchise Association, an author on franchising, a sought-after speaker at pretty much every franchising convention there is. So you can see why we're happy to have her here with us today. I'm not done yet because I do want to make sure people understand the unique perspective and vantage point that Jana brings to the table for discussions like this. For a couple of decades, in her role as the CEO, she's been talking on a weekly, if not daily basis, with CEOs and founders of all the major franchise organizations. She's plugged into that industry trade association, the IFA. And if you don't know anything about IFA, so this is the major advocacy, lobbying, and educational component of the franchising industry nationally. And it's by far the largest international trade association for franchising. And in her role, she has the ear of all the major franchise suppliers, like lenders and a legal team that has literally written some of the franchise law over the years. And then, oh, by the way, her team continually aggregates trends from all corners of North American franchising and the franchising industry. And she's a CEO of a franchise system herself. So... Again, you're welcome for not being on video so that nobody could see you blush, but I wanted to make sure people understood why we brought you on for the show today. And again, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much, Blake. And it's it's an honor to be here with you. Well, thanks for that. Let's jump right in out of respect for your exceedingly busy schedule. First, you got into the franchising field in a unique way, like a lot of people who've been in franchising and then stay in it. I'm interested to know what got you in franchising in the first place and what's kept you in it all these years? Well, let's see, I started out as a banker and in banking, you're exposed to a lot of different types of businesses and different business models. And franchising was one of those that I was exposed to, but very little, I have to be honest. I left banking and did consulting and speaking and training for a couple of years. And one of my clients 
that I developed a regular schedule of classes for was a regional owner for a hair care franchise. Mm -hmm. And after doing the training for them for a couple of years, he took me to lunch one day and laid out this job that he was looking to fill for a regional director to take over the responsibility of developing and growing that region, adding more franchisees as well as franchisee support. And he went through this whole thing about, you know, if they understood financial statements and they were comfortable doing training and speaking and blah, 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 this would really be the perfect fit. And did I know anyone like that? (laughs) So um, I exited to the ladies room where I stood in there and back and forth in my mind and, and went back out and said, tell me more. And that's how I got into franchising. I spent six and a half years with that regional owner, um, ultimately was responsible for a five-state region. From there, I went to work for the corporate headquarters of that franchise company and uh, was a part of their operations team and was put in Texas to do a turnaround on a troubled region. I was down there and pretty much got my cleanup work done and was working on rebuilding. And that is when I got the invitation from FranNet to take this position. So quite the roller coaster, and it's been a fun ride. Um, what keeps me here is never a dull moment. It's different every day. <laughs> There's always a new challenge and a new opportunity to pursue. And franchising just has a lot of really neat people in the industry, a lot of fun people, good-hearted people, people that I'm glad to call my friends. Well, those sound like some really good reasons to stay in franchising. (laughs) (laughs) I never knew. So you had a bit bit of a turnaround experience in there with the hair care franchise, huh? Mm -hmm. your, Your reward for success was, okay, go fix this. Oh, and that was that was a challenge. Nobody wants to be the turnaround person that comes in to clean out the mess. Indeed. Indeed. So that's a really good segue to another question I wanted to ask you. From your vantage point, what makes a good franchise system a good franchise system? Well, that's a great question. It's one of the things, you know, we look at when we're looking at brands that want to work with FranNet. What I'm looking for in a good, solid brand Um, being the banker, I'm always going to go to the balance sheet. Are they well capitalized? Are they reinvesting in the franchise system or are they just taking that out in, you know, payments to the owners? Are they actually reinvesting and growing the franchise? I look at the management team. Do they have people that understand the franchise industry? Because the franchise industry is unique. It's it's nothing like running your own business. If, so just because you've been a very successful XYZ type business does not mean you're going to be a good franchisor of that concept. So typically people need to bring in somebody with some franchise experience that understands how the model is, that these franchisees are not your employees, These are independent business people in their market using your brand, your systems, and they need to be respected and treated as such. Um, So that's different. I also look for how they support their franchisees. Anyone in franchising needs to have a little bit of a servant attitude towards their franchisees and understand 
the franchisor is not successful unless the franchisees are successful. Mm. So what are they doing to support and help grow the people that are out there every day under their brand? So that circles back to something that I caught in your description there. You were talking about a franchisor that reinvests in their system. Mm -hmm. Can you give me some examples of productive reinvestment, productive way? Well, well, you're you're a franchisor. You run the franchise system. So what are things that you would do or what are things that that, um, well-intentioned CEOs of franchise systems and boards of directors do to reinvest in their franchise system? Well, trying to stay up to date on technology has been a big one for many years. Um, I know when I took this job with FranNet, technology was not even on the radar. They had just had their own website developed, FranNet. I mean, we're talking 15 years ago, and that they were far behind, far behind the curve <laughs> with that. Um, I remember asking to see where our servers were kept and it was in a closet on a top shelf and my heart almost stopped. That's where everything that ran FranNet was housed at that time. So we've made a lot of investment over the years in technology and automations and systems that would make the job easier and more efficient for our franchisees. Um, The assessment tool that we use is one thing, Blake, you're very familiar with. When I took this job, they were in the process of considering converting this from a paper model to an online model. (laughs) So those are the type things that, you know, if a franchisor is not staying up to date, they're throwing their franchisees behind the competition. So that's been one of our big things. Training is another. Now, in, in defense of where the company was before I took this job, it was the founder running the company and it was a different model. It was not a franchise model. We converted to a franchise model when it changed ownership. So there's a lot of changes, but training, not just the initial training, but what type of ongoing training and development is offered to the franchisees. That's something I look for and look at. And we hear that in validation. We may hear, well, they were great for the grand opening, but we haven't seen them since. Um, What type of team do they have that's supporting the franchisees, whether it's marketing, operations, technology? Those those are the areas that you look for. And you can see those things on the P&L and cash flow statements where investments are being made either in additional personnel, technology, those type issues. Good point. These are things that are disclosed and people have a right to look at before they ever make any commitment, financial or legal or otherwise. Correct. And of course, validation is the strongest way to, to get that information. You call the existing franchisees and we do that when we're evaluating a brand. We make calls to existing franchisees and ask questions. What kind of support are you getting? What kind of training are you getting? You know, uh, how accessible is the headquarters staff to you if you need help? And so those type questions really get to the heart of the matter of whether or not it's a good, solid franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot to consider, isn't it? So for for listeners who are starting to or thinking about turning their business into a franchise, there's a lot of things they really need to contemplate if they're going to structure it the right way. 
Yes, it's much more than getting the franchise disclosure document. And unfortunately, through the years, I've had companies come to us and want us to help them grow. And basically, that's all they had in place was, well, they had an attorney do a franchise disclosure document. And it's very sad to start talking to them and trying to explain to them all the things they have to do before they should ever sell the first franchise. And a lot of them are very unprepared for those discussions. I've heard people say that Launching your franchise system too early while you're still putting the components of it back together is kind of like trying to repair the 747 when it's in flight at 30,000 feet. Yes, and I've seen companies do this, and it's really bad when they've sold two or three and then they realize nothing, you know, none of their systems are really working. They, they didn't have it buttoned up and ready to package. Gotcha. So follow-up question to that, does that mean that people should only be looking, if they want to invest, if there's investors, entrepreneurs who are looking at investing in a franchise or additional franchises, should they only be looking at ones that have been around for a long time? Not necessarily. And kind of try to spell it out for you here. One, I mean, there's different types of people with different types of risk tolerance. Some people only want to look at legacy brands with a very well-established name, reputation, been around forever, you know, very low turnover rate um, because they have a low risk tolerance and that's okay. We have others that want to jump in while it's new. They want to be one of the first McDonald's owners or, you know, Mm -hmm. Papa John's here in Louisville. Everybody wants to be one of the first and grab a lot of territory. So that's okay too. You still want to be sure the foundation is right. So part of the evaluation is self-evaluation. Where are you on that scale? You've got to have a tried and true name and you'll wait forever to get territory. Or are you willing to be earlier in the process of of development of a franchise. You know, there are some that have 50 units, some 100 and some with thousands. So the franchising business itself gives you that range of types of businesses and maturity levels to look at. If you're looking at a young brand, the basics still apply. Are they capitalized well? I don't want someone jumping into a business and signing a 10-year agreement and the franchisor go belly up within the first three years of that agreement. Yeah, that's not good. So, yeah, you got to be sure they've got money in the bank to sustain the growth. Do they have the right people on the bus to take this franchise forward? Do you feel connected to and a part of the mission and vision of that company? And if you can get comfortable with those things, as well as the risk associated with a younger franchise. Now, by, when I'm speaking younger, I'm talking really pretty new, emerging with 10 or less. Okay. You know, that's a whole different commitment. So just figure out where your comfort level is. And obviously, if you're working with one of our consultants, they're going to help you decide where you fit on that spectrum. Thank you. I appreciate that perspective. So let's talk about the present, right? The elephant in the room for every industry, not just franchising, but which franchises or franchise categories have you seen, not not just reading about or the media clips, but 
in actual performance, where are you seeing as far as categories of franchises that didn't just survive or aren't just surviving COVID, but are actually thriving through COVID? It's a great question. Um, We saw a huge uptick in the business being done by almost all home service franchises. People were staying at home. They're looking around. They decide, I'm just really tired of this carpet. I'm really tired of this floor. I want different flooring. Um, My windows need cleaning. You know, I, I don't want to do yard work anymore. All of those things. And for me, those first few months of working from home and just watching the the trucks and the vans that went through my neighborhood. And you could just see all these different home-based service brands headed to my neighbors, putting in swimming pools, you know, you <laughs> name it, it was being done. People were into home improvement. They, they weren't going on their vacations. Well, we've actually seen that continue into 2021. And the franchisors that we work with in those segments, many of them have reported the strongest year in their history in terms of the economics of the units, the franchisees, the business being done at the local level. Strongest in their history? In their history. Some of them have just been blown away by the amount of business they did last year and coming into this year. They're still seeing record numbers this year, but it is also translating into growth in franchise sales because As other people hear about this and see this, that draws them. We classify it essential services. So any of the services that were able to stay or the businesses that were able to stay open and operational during the franchise, during the initial pandemic Mm -hmm. are franchises that were labeled essential. And we had always talked about trying to look for brands. Be sure you avoid anything that's a fad here today, gone tomorrow. Look for concepts that do well in all economic cycles. I never thought we'd have to talk about look for brands that can survive a pandemic. <laughs> but that is now in our conversation. It so wasn't in your crystal brands. ball, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're changing our, our um, mantra a little bit. Are they pandemic proof? And then obviously janitorial services, right? Oh, yes. Everything with cleaning, um, you know, I've got to admit, I have a home cleaning service that comes to my house on a a regular basis. I do have my outside windows cleaned on a semi-annual basis. You know, what are those things that you do at home? And some of them I was doing before the pandemic and a couple of them I added on because I didn't like looking out my dirty windows anymore. So, you know, you think about those things and those businesses that aren't real glamorous, That's the interesting thing. I think about our business because people say, oh, I would never want to look at a maid service. Well, you might if you saw the P&L statement of some of those franchisees and those businesses you don't think about and that are not so glamorous may provide you the lifestyle and the income you're looking for. So don't be put off by what the business does. Look at what the business will do for you. That's a very good way of looking at it. So speaking of what the business does for you, uh, if we talk about, um, you know, this ongoing pandemic period, and of course it's been, it, it's been a roller coaster across different regions of the country at different times, but in many ways, catastrophic for a lot of industries. 
So then my question is, if you're a local small business owner, was franchising, if your wagon is hitched to a franchise and you're a franchisee versus an independent, um, solely owned business, did you still have an advantage through COVID as a franchisee? Without a doubt. And this is one time um, in, in the history of my career that I'm the most proud to be in franchising because I saw the franchise industry rally together and really work to help their franchisees. Uh, and the industry, the International Franchise Association that you mentioned earlier, they were providing training and education almost on a daily basis of what was going on, how to help your franchisees get the PPP loans, you know, all of the different things, all of the services. They were putting together you know, what the requirements were for those that were in real estate. Um, I saw franchisors negotiating with landlords on behalf of their franchisees to get relief for those businesses that had to close in certain markets and at certain times. Um, I saw the industry come out with reopening instructions when markets started opening back up. And what I would say to anyone is during the pandemic, uh, at its peak, at its, you know, when it, things start opening and now again, when things are getting a little tough again, IFA and the industry as a whole has helped strip away the fear for those franchisees by giving them guidance, both on national requirements, statewide requirements, and being sure that they were first in line to get the information. They were first in line to know how to best prepare and survive. And uh, some of those franchisors that dealt with those retail base that had to close their doors, we saw them waiving and, and taking um, delays on royalties and, you know, setting aside fees and doing this. So their franchisees weren't paying those obligations because the franchisor said, look, you know, hold off on that. Let's just let's keep you healthy financially. Exactly. Okay. And as I said earlier, negotiating with those landlords to help with the lease. And I dare say having a major franchise come in and try to negotiate with landlords that have locations all over the country that they want to attract franchises to was much more impactful than a mom and pop business trying to get relief from their lease payments. So what you will see in every neighborhood, if you drive around, the ones that are boarded up and that have left, the majority of those will be the mom and pop locally owned, unfortunately, and the franchise systems have been able to survive in those cases. Very good point. So for a last question to, to the future, again, from your vantage point, which is pretty darn unique, if, if we were doing a SWOT analysis on franchising, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, And I asked you to just focus on the opportunities and threats for franchising in the U.S. in the years going forward. What would your thoughts be on that? Well, opportunities. One is supposed to be starting right about now on the great resignation that has been taking place and is is supposed to hit its peak in uh, fourth quarter of this year. So people that are resigning from corporate America and just saying, I'm done and are ready to take charge of their future and want to do their own thing, I think we're going to see a big influx in the franchising community of these individuals. 
also opportunities um, as in any cycle you have the the strong survive and new systems bubble up with the right ideas for the right times so those things are going on right now and that's providing i think an opportunity in franchising um financing gets tougher and easier at times but we're in really low interest rate right now you know some of the lowest in in my lifetime and that is a real opportunity for fran anyone going into franchising or any business is to have you know that availability of low interest monies. Um, some of the threats or concerns, um, employee shortage right now, the the lack of labor for our businesses, and you know we know a lot of this is the pandemic um, driving that and the different programs that are allowing people to stay home longer. But we also have something that we were told was coming that has really hit during this, this time as well. And that's the aging baby boomers. And we were the largest population group, you know, in history, as far as the number of people in the workforce. And as they're all hitting retirement age at the same time, we don't have the sufficient number to take their place as they're rolling out of the workforce. So you couple that with the fact that it's just more attractive for too many people to stay home right now. And what you're winding up with is a real shortage of talent in the workplace. So that is one of the threats we're having to deal with. Gotcha. So if you're looking for a franchise opportunity right now, in addition to all of those criteria that make a strong franchise system that you talked about earlier, you might want to be leaning towards businesses that can scale with a small number of employees. <laughs> gotcha. Definitely. Definitely. Another concern, and I think it's something we've been um, battling on the political front for several years, but the joint employer situation is something worth you know, watching. We want to be sure that the franchise model is protected and that someone in a government office somewhere doesn't start, you know, and wind up pushing through legislation and rules that would lump us as a big corporation. The beauty of franchising is as Blake runs his business, I'm not over, you know, looking over his shoulder at everything he does and everybody he hires and what he pays them. But according to the joint employer rules, it basically says I'm responsible for what he's doing. And if that is to pass, it's really going to change the model in, in its entirety. So it's something we continue to watch. It's something that as an industry, we continue to lobby and educate to be sure the people in those positions to impact us in that way understand what they would be doing if they passed joint employer. Well, that is an outstanding point to wrap up on and I think really emphasizes that we're fortunate in the franchising industry to have folks like you out there who are advocating for the industry as a whole and ensuring that we're informed on change that's coming. So, Jana Bailey, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Blake, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. And to the rest of you, we hope you have a great rest of your day, and we thank you for joining us for another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guide. Hope you all have a wonderful day. A Huda Media Production.